Welcome to The Commentaries, a podcast series from TAN in which you'll learn how to read and understand history's greatest Catholic works from today's greatest Catholic scholars. In every series of The Commentaries, your expert host will be your personal guide to not just read the book, but to live the book, shining the light of its eternal truths into our modern darkness. Visit TANCommentaries.com to get your copy of the book and to subscribe for access to all the great reading plans, new episodes, bonus content, and exclusive deals for listeners of the commentaries. Hello and welcome to the ninth episode of the commentary series on the Dialogue of St. Catherine of Siena. I am Sister Mary Madeline Todd, a Dominican sister of the Congregation of St. Cecilia in Nashville, Tennessee. Today is the ninth part in our series, and we'll be continuing our discussion of St. Catherine's Treatise of Discretion. We'll be beginning with the subsection, How the Three Steps Figured in the Bridge Signify the Three Powers of the Soul, and we'll be presenting on the sections ending with the general method by which every rational creature can come out of the sea of the world and go by the aforesaid holy bridge. This whole section is a deepening of the doctrine of Christ the Bridge and how the soul is affected by walking the way of Christ the Bridge. As we enter into this ninth episode, let us begin with St. Catherine's own prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Eternal God, Eternal Trinity, you have made the blood of Christ so precious through his sharing in your divine nature. You are a mystery as deep as the sea. The more I search, the more I find. And the more I find, the more I search for you. But I can never be satisfied. What I receive will ever leave me desiring more. When you fill my soul, I have an ever greater hunger, and I grow more famished for your light. I desire above all to see you, the true light, as you really are. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome back. In the last segment, which was the eighth in this series, we considered the role of suffering and temptation in the lives of those who follow Christ crucified and those who do not. As the Father explained to Catherine, the evil one tries to use temptation and suffering to lead souls away from God. While God permits temptation in order for virtue to be strengthened, as one resists it by the power of grace. Likewise, suffering has an opposite effect depending on the direction of one's will. Those who are misled by the evil one see suffering as overwhelming because they are deceived to think that their own pleasure is the greatest good to seek. When they perceive that the following of Christ includes hardship, they turn away from Christ. On the other hand, those who are committed to following Christ crucified see suffering in the light of faith, and they recognize that God would only permit suffering in order to draw out greater love. The irony of such a situation is that the more people try to avoid suffering, especially because they're seeking their own ease and comfort, 
the more they end up actually suffering. We've all had this experience that we try to run from suffering, we make it worse. The Father reveals that if such people do not repent of their selfish sensuality, they choose even their own destruction. On the other hand, those who are willing to endure the sufferings of this life with trust in God's mercy and hope find that physical sufferings that they endure are nothing compared to the peace of soul that comes even in this life when we seek God's will and that will be perfected in the joy of the life to come. As we concluded the eighth episode, Catherine was overwhelmed by seeing that many souls were being drowned in the river of death, and she begged God to show her more about how souls can step onto the bridge of Christ and find the way to salvation. The Father opens this section by saying to Catherine that he always wants to fulfill the holy desires of good souls. So he wants to answer Catherine's question and lead her deeper in understanding the doctrine of the bridge. So the Father goes on to explain to her that the three steps of the bridge that before, earlier, he associated with three stages of the purification of the soul and the three parts of the body of Christ that literally one ascends also reveals something to us about the powers of the soul and how those powers can be united and purified and come to their fullness in Christ crucified. In order to expound this more fully, he reminds Catherine that the soul created in his own image and likeness has three powers, that of the memory, the intellect, and the will. The intellect, the Father assures Catherine, is the most noble power of the soul, but it is moved by affection and by what he calls the hand of love that is found in the will. Likewise, the affection fills memory with recalling of the goodness of God and the many gifts he's bestowed, so that each of the powers of the soul is designed to work with the others and to be open to the divine gift of grace. This is one of the challenges of studying the aspects and the powers of the human soul is that we think of them as separate, but in fact, they're working together. So as we look at what the affections are, often we use in other terminology, our emotions or our passions, what draws us or inclines us towards the things we perceive to be good, that's always impacting the way that we think, which is always informing the way that we choose. We choose what we perceive as good based on what we think is good, which is moved by what we feel is good. It's interesting that of the three powers of the soul, the Father includes here a reflection on memory. In St. Catherine's theology, memory has a very important role, for it's the memory that recalls the good things of God in order to inspire us with confidence so that when we perceive God's will in the present, having seen how God led us to good in the past, we have hope in the moment in which we stand. So the Father says to Catherine that because the soul was made by love, made by Him, made for love, that's our goal, our finality, the intellect will always be awakened by what affection says is the proper object of love. So our affections, our emotions are drawn towards what we think we should love, what we feel we should love. And that awakens the intellect 
to say, I want that thing. When enlightened by grace, the soul sees her own weakness and sin in the light of God's great mercy. So if a soul is walking in grace, it does see its own weakness and it's very aware that it could be misled in its affections. But the more grace is operative in the soul, the more the affections are purified and the soul comes to hate selfishness and sensuality and to grow in true humility and patience. The father says to Catherine that if the soul is still in this stage of longing for sensual goods, if we're, if we're kind of attached to the things of this world, the affections will be drawn to transitory and passing things and find no pleasure in virtue. We see this a lot when a person is early in the stages of setting out to, to be converted or is not yet converted at all, their affections are drawn to things that are easy, things that are comfortable, things that give pleasure. And virtue seems unappealing because vice has clouded the capacities of the passions of the affections to truly discern the good, especially when a soul is rooted in pride and impatience, the affections will be drawn towards what is earthly. This distorted affection for the things of this world blinds the intellect so that it is dazzled, the father says. It is drawn by what is glittering or impressive. So the father points out to Catherine that if there were nothing that was kind of alluring and attractive about evil, we wouldn't be drawn to it. So there is a kind of glamour in the things that are evil that is different than things of true beauty. So if we perceive this kind of glittering, kind of dazzling glamour of the things that are of this world, we begin to desire them and we fear letting go of them. So the affections in this state can mislead the soul. And without the light of faith, the intellect can be misled in seeing the passing worldly things as good in themselves and desire to have those lesser things. So when the affections draw the intellect in that direction towards lesser things and the intellect lacks the virtue of faith, then the intellect decides that it wants those lower things and then draws the will to consent. And because the powers of the soul are united in a person, whether that person's on the path of life or death, when a person is blinded by vice, the memory will hold on to not the good things of God, but to the pleasures that can be derived from the sensory goods of this world. So you see there's a unity of the powers of the soul in whatever direction the soul is moving. And this is why it's hard for someone who's in the river, the, the current of vice, to step out of that. But the father tells Catherine that he gave us the senses and the desires of the senses in order to draw us toward what is truly good. So if we can begin to perceive things in truth, we will not be drawn only to the passing goods of this world, and especially if those things of this world are leading us away from goodness. So that the senses can actually help us when we begin to perceive that, in fact, illusory pleasures don't often bring true happiness. The Father says that when our, our senses awaken and our emotions awaken to truer goods, they interface with the great gift of free choice. And if a person decides to set out to serve the Lord, decides to step out of that 
river, that current, that undertow of the mere goods of this world, then under the direction of reason, all the powers of the soul can be gathered towards what is a true good rather than what is a false or illusory one. And rather than pursue mere sensual objects that are not the highest good, reason can be drawn by the affections towards higher goods, which the memory can then begin to recall in truth, and the will will then pursue as it is filled with grace. So not only are the three powers of the soul so united that they will seek whichever goal or end is chosen by free will, but the Father points out that whatever we tend towards, we have to persevere in if we want to seek our end. He points out to Catherine that even the person who sets out to do evil has to have perseverance in order to stay true to that end. Sadly, it is possible for a soul to remain so caught up in the current, the undertow of evil things, that they actually could persevere unto their ultimate destruction. But for the person who sets out on the way of virtue, as the soul is purified and healed by divine grace, it is more likely that they will persevere in the good. If we remember the earlier image of the bridge, when St. Catherine was describing the way the stones made up this bridge and that the mortar was moistened with the blood of Christ, she said that the bridge is not just a flat surface over which we pass, but that it has walls and a roof to protect us. Why? Because when we're crossing the bridge that is Christ, we're still going to feel the cross currents of the wind, right? There's still going to be the temptations of the devil, the flesh, and the world. And so even a soul who's chosen to walk in the way of virtue could be swept back into the river. So the father in this section points out to Catherine that we need to persevere in the good. We need to keep walking and that the three powers of the soul will help each other in this. That the more you choose to do what is good, the more your memory can recall that when you chose lesser goods, only illusory goods, there wasn't a real happiness in that. And it can recall that when when a person chose what were really objectively higher goods, there was a kind of peace and a kind of joy that came from that. And that gift of memory can work with the affections in order to present true goods to the intellect. The intellect can receive the true good in faith and therefore the will, the power to choose, can love what is really good. And then you see the unity of the powers of the soul in grace. So clearly the father wants his children to choose the path of life. And he reminds Catherine of a beautiful saying of Jesus when he walked in this world. Jesus taught his followers that whoever is thirsty should come to him and drink. And so the father reminds Catherine that as long as we walk as pilgrims in this world, we will always have unfulfilled desires. We will always thirst for more. If a person comes with that thirst to Christ himself, he or she is filled with divine grace and receives virtue, especially the virtue of charity that will lead to love of both God and neighbor. So this is what fills our thirst, not the things that are just mere passing pleasures of this world, but that true charity we find in the heart of Christ. The Father encourages all to thirst first and foremost for virtue, 
for the honor and glory of God's name and the salvation of souls. Such a person with this thirst, this longing that is brought to Christ, climbs the first step of the affections when affection is stripped of selfish, sensual love and rises above self and the passing things of this world. It's not that we leave this world, we are still in this world, but not of this world. So whatever that person who is finding their thirst fulfilled in Christ, whatever that person needs in this world is submitted to the divine will and the things of the passing world are used only in light of faith and love so that we can virtuously use the things of this world. When affection has been purified, one can climb to that second step when the intellect is enlightened by truth. It is when the intellect is enlightened through the gift of faith that we can focus on Christ crucified and now will not be less misled by the deceptions of the devil, the flesh, and the world. When faith directs us toward Christ crucified, we come to know the truth of how loved we are by God. Remember earlier, Catherine speaks of how climbing that second step is gazing into the open side of Christ, seeing the pierced heart of Jesus, knowing how loved we are and knowing truth in relation to that love of God for us. In this part of the image of the three steps, the third step is mounted as memory is flooded with divine love. When memory fulfills its task appointed by God of recalling to us God's infinite goodness and mercy. When the soul is ever mindful, always remembering how good God is, then it comes to realize and be stable in understanding that nothing of this world can satisfy. The unity of the three powers of the soul makes a person firm in seeking to live out the two great commandments of love of God and love of neighbor. To use an image earlier revealed to Catherine by the Father, the soul is in God like a fish is in the sea and the sea is in the fish. Here and in several places in the dialogue, the Father is revealed to Catherine as a sea pacific. This is not a geographic space, right? This is, what is God? God is like a sea. They say that Catherine grew up and never saw the sea until she was an adult. And when she saw it, she was overwhelmed by the beauty of the sea. And immediately it lifted her mind and heart to the goodness of God, this boundless, infinite love in which she found herself, in which we are each able to live and move and have our being. To see God as a sea pacific, Catherine understands the indwelling of the soul in God and God in the soul, the fruit of which is a stable and unshakable peace. The Father's explanation of the three steps of the bridge in relation to the three powers of the soul brings us to the end of day nine in our consideration of the dialogue. Next time we'll be looking at the final section of this treatise of discretion where Catherine unpacks how we move from servile fear to filial fear and love. We'll be beginning with the subsection, how this devoted soul looking in the divine mirror saw creatures going in diverse ways. And we'll conclude at the end of the treatise of discretion with how an imperfect lover of God loves his neighbor also imperfectly and the signs of the imperfect love 
This consideration is really meant to invite us into a space where we can open ourselves to divine grace more fully and attain to that perfect love which casts out fear. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. This has been an episode of The Commentaries, a podcast brought to you by TAN. To follow the show, study more of the greatest Catholic classics, and to support the commentaries and other great free content from TAN, visit tancommentaries.com to subscribe and use coupon code COM25 to get 25% off your next order, including the dialogue and countless more spiritual works to deepen your interior life and guide you to heaven.